we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. Amen. Somebody give the Lord a praise. Come on. Aren't you thankful? for the Lord today. Aren't you thankful for what he's doing? I, every time we sing that song, I think a lot of times we think we're talking about God, let our praises fill this, this building right here. And that's not what the Lord wants. It's the temple of our bodies, the temple of, our, of us. So God, let my life be filled with praise this morning. Let this temple, amen, I want everybody to do that. Say, let this temple be filled with praise today honor today worshiping him amen thank you jesus you may be seated if you can god is so good amen last week we began a series of messages uh the first in the unseen uh series that we're going to be doing unseen things is what we're going to be talking about and last week we were focused on uh the unseen enemies of our mind that would come against us in our our uh, our minds as far as dis- or in our ourselves discouragement doubt division and uh, our anchor verse for this series is for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against uh, rulers of darkness authorities against cosmic powers over this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places and we established last week that there are uh, those there were three unseen enemies of our mind that would come through the world, the the flesh, and the and the devil, and how we had to discouragement something that can overtake us before we realize it, and uh, doubt can overtake us before we realize it, and uh, division can come in, and not you know a lot of times when people preach about division they think they're talking about the church. I'm talking about a divided person. Have you ever been caught between two decisions and just wrestled with it? That can be an, an awful place. Should I do this or should I do that? It's a, di- a divisive heart. Uh, can be detrimental to us. This week we're going to be taking this to another level, talking about spiritual enemies and really focusing on the unseen spiritual forces at work in this world. And um, the Bible says very clearly that we are wrestling against things that we don't always see. There is an unseen enemy that is at work in this world, and it, it is manipulating uh, different things in order to accomplish its task to kill, steal, and destroy. But we need to understand God is using uh, what is meant for evil for good. And so as we talk about this today, uh, I want us to realize any view of Christian ministry that doesn't take, uh, take the, uh, the stand that, that Satan is against us is a naive view. And I say this because there's a lot of churches today that you don't hear about the the enemy. You you get you get inspirational talks. You get uh, your you know how you can overcome, and and we throw a little Jesus in there to season it. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. Um, Jesus was very very clear that our adversary. Um, is, is as a roaring lion. He is seeking whom he may devour. Um, he is a real adversary. Um, one of the most sobering verses of Scripture to me is found in Revelations where uh, it, it's just one little statement says, and there was war in heaven. That just blows my mind. 
that there was war in heaven, that Satan caused a rebellion in heaven and a third of the angels fell with him from heaven. And that, I, I want you to understand, that third of the angels that fell, they are bent towards that same purpose of destruction of anything that is holy, anything that honors the name of Jesus, anything that is lifting up God on this earth. They're bent to destroy it if they can. And I want you and I to, uh, I just want to say this kind of as a, 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 if you have not read the book of Ephesians, or the letter of Ephesians by the Apostle Paul. Uh, most theologians believe it is, it is uh, the, the uh, cherry on top of all of, of, of Paul's writings, that he really brings all of his battles of, and struggles through his ideas of God into Ephesians, and it is a masterpiece of completion of him bringing his thoughts of God into uh, to fruition of, of this, is, this is where it is. So you need to read this book. A lot of times we get caught in the last part. Last week I talked about how a lot of people grab hold of Ephesians chapter 6, uh, the latter, last chapter of Ephesians, and they, they want to base their whole theology on there's a demon behind every tree. Um, whereas if you read the first part of Ephesians, he establishes that there is an enemy known as the flesh. Okay, this flesh is very powerful. It is a very powerful thing, and every day it has to be made subject to the cross and subject to the Lord. And, and so, again, uh, got to read it in its entirety uh, to really understand it. Satan has many weapons in his arsenal, uh, and he uses them with great subtlety. In other words, he's, he's skilled at what he does. He's skilled at what he does. A lot of people, there's some things that he's not. Um, Satan cannot read your thoughts. Did you know that? He can't read your thoughts. Um, he is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once, even though somebody says, well, uh, he, I, I think he is because he was bothering me. Remember, a third of the angels fell with him, so they're, they're on assignment. Uh, and so he can't be everywhere at once. And, and another thing is he is not all-powerful. We, we need to understand those things about our enemy, and we're going to maybe explore that a little bit next week. But, but again, there's things we need to understand about him. So what are some of the weapons Satan uh, can use against believers? Uh, we could name many, including financial and, and moral failure. That seems to be the two that gets the spotlight in a lot of church leaders and churches is financial and moral failure. But, but by the way, there was things that led up to those things, and I'm, I want to talk to you about that. Let's read first Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, have put, uh, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all saints I want to uh, to kind of explore these fiery darts concept today that that, that uh, the apostle Paul presents to us or the the fiery darts are the pitfalls and we're going to look at seven of those there's many fiery 
fiery darts the enemy can fire at you, but we're going to focus in on seven of those today and, and, uh, because I believe there's seven of the, of the most critical ones uh, that we need to guard ourselves against. Now, number one, I want to kind of give an explanation of a fiery dart. The, uh, the literal translation is arrow arrow, okay? Um, a, a dart shot from a crossbow, or, or, uh, it, it's not what we think, you know? Uh, I remember as a kid reading this, and I would think it was dartboard. Satan was like, you know, doing this. No, it, it, is, it is a weapon of destruction. And so I, I want to kind of clarify why it uses the word fiery. Most of their shields in ancient days, some of them would be coated in bronze, but most of them were wooden shields. And wooden shields were uh, a good to ward off tacks from, an, from arrows. Well, good armies learned real quick that if they shot a flaming arrow that it you know uh, uh, now this wood was hardened so it took some time to to burn but it would it would literally they would coat it with a pitch that would explode upon impact as far as splatter onto that shield now how many of you have ever had something catch on fire in your hands Okay, maybe you were lighting something and, and it flamed up real fast. What do you do? What's your natural thing? You want to throw it down. You want to get it out of your hands. Now, imagine you're going into battle and all of a sudden this arrow hits the center of your shield and your whole shield explodes the front side of it on fire. Your natural instinct would be to throw the thing down and that leaves you exposed or vulnerable to attack. The enemy is longing to do what? To chip away at your shield of faith, to get it lower in your life long enough that his dart can land and make its mark. And so I want to warn you today that these seven things are there to try to destroy your faith in your life. In other words, it is our faith. The Bible says taking the shield of faith wherewith we can not just uh, uh, ward off the fiery darts, but the, the supernatural shield of faith is different from a physical shield in the sense of it can quench them. It can put them out. It can, it can silence them in our lives. And I want you to understand that the power of the Spirit knows how to, to silence the, the attack of the enemy in your life. But we have to be aware of these seven darts this morning. Now, the first dart I want to talk to you or the first flaming arrow that I want to talk to you about is the wrong focus. And I feel like this is something that gets a lot of us. I know it gets me sometimes. The wrong focus. We need to be ready, uh, or, or ready uh, to keep Jesus our main focus. In other words, we love to sing about it. We say he is. But how many found that it's easy to get distracted? It's easy for life to throw us a curveball. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. Verse 2 of Hebrews 12 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But we easily, if we're not careful, what he's saying is, if we're not careful, we can lose our focus. We're looking to who? We're looking to Jesus today. There's a lot of people looking in the wrong places to try to to find peace and strength and comfort and courage in the hour that we're living in, I'm here to tell you, you're not going to find it. It will be temporary compared to what you will find when you look to Jesus. But this word looking to Jesus, is he didn't say just look, he said looking to Jesus. Why? Because he's saying we must maintain our focus on the Lord. We cannot allow, we got to keep looking at him. We cannot get our eyes off of him. If not, we will, we will become easily 
easily distracted. Uh, in, in other words, it is easy to take our eyes off of him. Don't you agree? It's easy to do that. It's easy to become distracted by the things around us. And it's, like, it's also easy to shift our gaze to other people or even to the work of our ministry and get distracted by working and doing good. You know what? If you are not careful, you can be out doing a lot of good and get your eyes off of what the reason you're doing it for is about. That's why you have ministerial burnout, by the way. There are people that are that are called into ministry, called pastors today, and they are at home and they are they are beat up and they are weak and they just cannot seem to to get back on track with God uh, with with ministry. Why? Because they were so focused on the ministry, they forgot why they were ministering. If we're not careful, we can be so focused on doing good and doing what we're supposed to that we don't maintain what our gaze upon the Lord. And it is easy for churches, it is easy for people, it is easy for believers to get our eyes off the Lord. To go through the motions of worship, to go through the motions of, of our walk with God, but be far away from Him. And God is saying, I don't want you to do that. I want your gaze to be on, on me. In other words, We've all been guilty of this in one form or another. In Jesus, we find some examples. Hebrews 12, 3 says, Considering him who endured, for, uh, endured from, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, he's saying, Look, you've got to maintain your focus on the one who purchased your, your freedom. So many times we get distracted. We're out doing something for God, and there's something hostile comes our way. Somebody comes against us, or we have somebody stand against us. God is saying, look, you've got to remember the one who started all this, Jesus, amen, and keep focused on him. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. I believe this is the number one failure of a lot of believers, is we follow in the steps of men instead of in the steps of Christ. I want you to know it's okay to follow somebody that is following Jesus, but you better keep your eyes on the one who is ahead of them, not necessarily them. There's a lot of people who have given up on church because they have seen failure in the ministry or they've seen failure in an individual and so they've just wrote church off altogether. They had their eyes gazed upon somebody else, not upon Jesus. Peter says, keep your eyes on the example. Then in Ephesians 1.6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The beloved being Jesus. He's saying, keep your, keep your focus, keep your heart settled on him. And then Galatians 3.4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What is he saying? He's saying, listen... If you want to remain focused, then Jesus cannot be a part of your life. He needs to be your life. He needs to be your life. And there's a big difference in that. There's a huge difference between me being a spectator and being a participant. There's a big, big difference between, well, you know, what? I, I, I love football. Anybody else love football? We're getting into football season. We just need the weather to catch up with football. Because I'm telling you, I, 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 I sat at the game and I marinated. I don't know anybody else. We just kind of marinated Friday night. But, but I love football. I love football season. I love, you know, we've got a church and, and, this is a, a pretty much an SEC church for the most part, except for Brad. And, you know, anyway, just kidding. Um, but, but again, um, 
We, we, I love ragging different ones. You know, I love picking at different ones of you. But we all have our own perspective of what is right. So Friday night, even though Trine had a blowout against their opponent, I am sure there was some quarterbacking going on from the, from the stands. Amen? Come on. I'm sure there's somebody saying, well, I know we could have done better with. And, you know, some, in their heads, we're thinking it out. As a matter of fact, Tina and I were talking this morning, and, and we're big Georgia Bulldog fans. And, and uh, you know, we're Georgia fans, period, Georgia teams. We realize that you've got to prepare to get your heart broke sometimes. But, but you know, I, I'm telling Tina, next week we kick off against Clemson. And, but she just looked at me, and she said, what? Who's the idiot that scheduled Clemson for the first game of the season? I said, that'd be your coach. She said, well, he's an idiot. No, you know what? No, it ain't got nothing to do with Kirby. It got a lot to do with money. Amen. Everybody knows that. It's got a lot to do with that. What are you saying? We all have our perspective. And next week, Kirby will either be held as a champion or he will be booed as a, in defeat. And all of us will either say he knew what he was doing or we'll go, we knew better than that. He should have known better than that. What are you saying, Pastor? We all have that kind of armchair quarterback, armchair decision making. But I'm here to tell you today that if we will stay focused on Jesus, we'll make the right decisions because we We'll be following the head of all things and we won't be just kind of chasing ourselves in circles saying, well, I hope I get it right. Let's stay focused on the Lord today. And then the number two fiery dart that, it, that, that can get a lot of us is the, the dart of hurry. The dart of hurry. And I do believe there's a, there is a, 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 a spirit that can get on us to keep us so busy that we, we don't have time to move. We don't have time to breathe. We don't have time to function. The, this, this dart of hurry. I, I'm, not speaking here of a, uh, uh, I'm not speaking here of a fast-paced day, but I'm, a, I'm talking about a disordered life. A disordered life. All of us, it seems like we're busy. And all of us, we have heavy schedules. And we've got all this. We've got, and if you've got kids, then you don't have a life. You're running, you know, you're busy doing their life. And you're taking them here and taking them there. And, and as a matter of fact, I, I was thinking about Paige being a senior. And, and the joy I have that I haven't had to take Peyton to school for several years now because she's driving. And that ends. And I'm going to have to get up and take him to school now and all that good stuff. What are you saying? I, 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 life's going to change for us. And, we're in a hurry, and we, it looks like we're always trying to be here or there. I got a doctor's appointment this time. I got to be across town to this time, and, and we stay busy, and everybody I meet, we're always in a rush. We're always in a hurry, but a disordered life is chaos in us. It will create chaos in our hearts. It will create chaos in our minds, and it will create chaos in our spiritual walk. A hurried life, a disordered life. In other words, it's okay to have a lot of things on your plate, but I, I like to say it this way. There's scheduled chaos in my life, and there's unscheduled chaos. All right? And if you get it, then, then you're with me and you understand what I'm saying, but, but let me try to explain a little bit. There, there is, there's things I know I'm going to be busy every week. I know I got a lot of things on my plate, and as long as I can schedule that out, I'm good. But it's that unscheduled chaos. If I didn't take the time to kind of to, to plan it out, it would overwhelm me and destroy me and keep me in a, such a rush, I would not have time to do the things that are necessary to maintain my walk with God. Are you following me today? Today, you cannot let the fiery dart of hurry land its mark in your life. When we get to the point uh, where we're living from one tornado to the next, come on. 
from one chaos to the next chaotic moment, then we need to reevaluate and, and get a plan. Why? Because did you realize heaven, heaven has its own rhythm? Heaven has its own timing. And if we're not careful, we'll get out of sync with what the Spirit's doing. We'll get out of sync with what God is speaking in our lives because we're in such a hurry. We even lose our ability to plan well, and, it gets, and we get stuck. We get stuck in a slavery to urgency. In other words, we're always in a rut. You ever met somebody like that? they always in a hurry. You get to them and you're going to have a conversation with them and they've already had their conversation and you're still talking, but they've checked out because they've moved on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Folks, we've got to learn that, that that kind of spirit will destroy us. It will suck the life out of us. Sheer hurry and busyness is not a sign of a productive uh, spiritual health. In other words, it's not just because I'm busy doing spiritual things does not mean I'm healthy spiritually. Amen. It can actually say just the opposite about me. It can be counterproductive and weaken me spiritually. We rarely hear God's voice when we're in a rush in life. It takes, it takes time and intention to be still and listen to God. Psalms 46, 10 says, be still and know that I am God. I'm going to tell you right now, in the midst of a resurgence of sickness in our nation, in the midst of political chaos in our nation, in the midst of people that are divided on every issue, I think it's time for the body of Christ to call a time out. Come on, church, and be still and know who's still in control. Be still and know that He is still God. Be still and know that God is on the throne and He's still calling the shots. Amen. Amen. Be still and know that He is God. When God spoke to Elijah in the cave, it was not through the earthquake, the fire, and the wind, but it was through the still small voice. I'm going to tell you, there's so many times that if we're not careful, we will forget that lesson of Elijah. Elijah, to me, was one of the most hurried men that ever was. I mean, he is constantly, even the end of his days on earth was, was a hurried thing. He's standing there, and the Bible says, out of nowhere, here comes chariots of fire, and he's taken up in a whirlwind into heaven. Man, I mean, his life was one whirlwind, I believe, when you read about the life of Elijah. But you see, Elijah ran up against a foe that was greater than, than anything he could imagine, and that was the fiery dart of hurry. He had gotten to the place where he had hurried to Mount Carmel. He had hurried to battle with, with, with Jezebel and Ahab and the false prophets. What a victory. I want you to think about this. The man prayed and fire rained down from heaven. Okay, but then in the very next breath, Ahab comes to him and says, Jezebel wants you to know something. She's going to kill you just like you did these prophets this same time tomorrow. The Bible says Elijah runs for his life. I want you to think about that. A man who had called down fire from heaven now is running for, for his life. He comes to a juniper tree and there he lays down under the juniper tree and he, cra he prays a prayer and that prayer is, Lord, I'm the only one that loves you. I'm the only one that, ever that keeps your word. I'm the only one that, that is faithful, so just kill me. Just kill me, God. All of a sudden, the angel appears and he's gotten coals. Uh, on the coals, he's baked bread and there's water there. And on that angel food cake, he runs for 40 days. Isn't that amazing? And without, without a break, without, he runs and he finds himself. You would think he would run in victory, but instead he went and found himself a cave. 
He found a place of seclusion and there you would think, well, he's just getting alone with God, but it wasn't the case at all. There he prays the same prayer. God, I'm the only one that loves you. I'm the only one that's not worshiping false gods. I'm the only one that even cares about the truth. So Lord, just kill me. Just let me die. Let me go on and be with you. The Lord tells him to get up, wrap himself in his mantle and go to the mouth of the cave. There's a fierce earthquake and then there comes a fire and then there comes a wind. And the Bible says that God was not found in the earthquake, the fire, and the wind, but then came a still, small voice. I believe we've got to learn to cancel the noise if we're going to hear from God today. We've got to learn to block out a few things if we're going to hear God today. Some of us need to block out some people in our ears if we're going to hear God today. And if all you're hearing is it's over, if all you're hearing is negative things, if all you're hearing is the body of Christ is a washed up dead thing, I want you to know something. Jesus died for his church. He purchased it with his blood and he's coming back for a glorious church. So you just hold on because I believe redemption is drawing nigh. I believe it's coming. But he said he heard that still small voice. And then later Jesus would say in, his, in the New Testament, my sheep know my voice. They know my voice. They've, they've heard it. They know to respond to it. If you have lost the hearing ear, if you can't hear his voice, it's time for you to cancel some noise. It's time for you to find a place where you can hear him again. And sometimes that's the noise of hurried life. Oh God, I'm so busy. I don't have time to hear you. God's ready to speak to you. Number three, worry. This is a good one. Worry and anxiety. That seems to be a fiery dart that's making its mark in a bunch of believers today. It's hitting its mark hard in a lot of hearts of, of people who love Jesus today. Some of us are by nature problem solvers and we love to throw in the verse of scripture that says Jesus said bless are the peacemakers, and that translates, blessed are the problem solvers. Some of us, by nature, are just fixers. We want to fix. Anybody a fixer in this room that'll admit it? You're, you're a fixer, okay? And you got to fix it. You got to make it right. You got to put a Band-Aid on it. It's not something, you know, you are going to fix that, well, which is another way of saying that, that we see details and can easily become distracted and burdened by what isn't right. We can, we can get burdened by what we see broken in the world. We can get burdened by what we see broken in others. We can get burdened by what we see broken in the church, and, 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 and we get worried over it. 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 28 says simply this, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of, of my anxiety for all churches. Paul is saying to the church, he's being honest, he's being open, he's saying, I've got a lot of anxiety and it's over, the, over you. I got a lot of anxiety, and that didn't make it. By the way, just because he wrote that doesn't mean that's something to say, oh, praise God for Paul's anxiety. No, this is him being honest with us and open with us about a negative thing in his life. He's saying, I'm bearing a lot of anxiety. But, you know, but later on, what would he say? He would say, we got to give all that to the Lord. We've got to give all our anxiety to the Lord. We can't, we can't carry it. You see, I told you, he's working through some things in his writings, and he's, he's, he's bold enough and honest enough to share it with us. He's working through his faith. And I want you to know today that some of us, we're so worried, we're so anxious about the day that we're living in that, that, that we, we are, we're crippled by it. There is a fine line between care and worry there's a, a fine line between you caring about something and worrying about something. We need to daily cast our cares upon the Lord, always remembering that God never called you to bear His responsibilities. 
Oh my goodness. He offered to carry your burden. In other words, Jesus doesn't even trust us to build his church. Do you realize it's not my responsibility or your responsibility to build the church? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is our job then? Our job is to give him the raw materials to win souls for the Lord and give him another live living stone to put into the building. Amen. Our job is to make disciples. Our job is to preach the word of hope in in this hour, but there's a lot of people that carry the burden of worry. A few years ago, I saw a sign in a Christian bookstore uh, that read this, give it, to, give it to the Lord and go to sleep. Give it to the Lord and go to sleep. Look at somebody beside you and say, give it to God and go to sleep. Give it to God and go to sleep. So many of us, we carry our anxieties over life into, into our rest. We carry it into our prayer time. We carry it into everything. And we need to realize we've got to give it to the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The King James reads, casting your cares upon him before he careth for you. We've got to give these things to the Lord. Paul would later go on and write in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything. This is the man that said he had anxiety. Now he's saying, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart, your minds in Jesus Christ. I just feel an unction in my spirit that some of us are worrying ourselves into an early grave if we're not careful. And God is saying to you, will you gather up all that junk today and throw it to the cross? Throw it to the cross. Throw it to me. Guess what? I can carry it. I don't, I'm not afraid of your anxiety. I'm not afraid of that stuff. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. If we're not careful, we'll let our anxiety cripple us from the mission God has called us to. Amen. Number four, fiery dart. Oh, this is a good one. Comparison. Comparison. This is getting a lot of people today. Comparison will kill you every time. Not only does it lead to pride or, pride or discouragement, but it usually is based on a false perception of other people's reality. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. He's saying, you're being ignorant when you you try to match yourself up against somebody else and compare yourself. Look, it can be, it can, it can lead to pride and it can lead to uh, discouragement. If you watch somebody uh, long enough and you see them and you compare your life to them and they they seem to be succeeding when you don't, it can lead you to a spirit of disappointment where you feel like God is against you and not for you, folks. We got to shake that stuff off because God has an individual work for everybody in this room and God blesses who he wants to bless and he moves and who he wants to move and we need to just begin what did he say he says if you will bless the children of Abraham I'll bless you if you curse the children of Abraham then you'll be cursed instead of you know instead of uh, when somebody's succeeding for God or they're succeeding in this world the church should be saying congratulations we're proud of you that's just a mark in your life that God is doing great things God has something in store for you as an individual and it may not be the same thing that he blesses me with. It may be different, 
But we have to, the spirit of comparison, that arrow of, cons- of comparison will destroy if we're not careful. Give, God gives each of us different responsibilities and opportunities. When we compare, to, uh, uh, compare to other, ourselves to others, we miss the joy in how God is wanting to use us. Amen. Amen. If we're not careful, it happens a lot in my line of work. Ministers tend to want to compare themselves to other ministers. And you know what? This is not a popularity contest. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's not that I'm more popular than brother so-and-so or pastor so-and-so. It's that Jesus is the most popular person in this church. If Jesus isn't the the most popular, then we're here for the wrong reasons. It's all about Him. It's all about His work. We need to start looking to Him and not comparing ourselves to one another. Why are they blessed and I'm not? God loves you no matter what. God gives you, each of us, different responsibilities. Number five, uh, uh, spiritual arrow, fiery dart, is a weak spirituality. As believers, we are not consistently uh, exposed to the Bible unless we become uh, uh, self-sufficient in the sense that we can feed ourselves. As believers, if we're not careful, we'll learn to dine once or twice a week when we come to church and we are missing out on what God has for us. In other words, we've got to learn a mark of spiritual maturity is feeding ourselves. Learning to, to, to dig into the Word for ourselves. Learning to have a time with God alone. and, and, and that, is, that creates a strong spiritual person. But I believe with all my heart I see a lot of weak spirituality why? How can this happen? In other words, I know for me it's happened. In other words, I've looked to my own preaching and teaching and counseling and me preparing to teach a class on Wednesday night or to do a conference or whatever I might be doing or a sermon. I feel like, boy, I've, I've had my time alone with God. A few years ago, the Holy Spirit convicted me. I was in my office reading and the Lord convicted me and said, every time you read my word, you're looking for the next sermon. You're looking for the next lesson and you are hurting and starving yourself to death because everything that I give you for those purposes is for you to give away. I'm wanting you to spend time in my word for you. And I want you to put down the the pen and quit trying to come up with the next idea about a a sermon series and just read my word for my word and let it be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Let it be manna from heaven in your life. I want you to understand something, folks. You can get up and preach every week. You can get up and teach every week week. You can get up and do ministry every week, but if you are not spending time alone with God, you will be a weak spiritual person. Amen. Amen. Even though you're constantly pouring out to others, we must find a place uh, where God is speaking to us and giving us food for our spirit. But, spir- but spiritual fruit, uh, a fruit and a walk with God are not sustained by, by, uh, by snacking. In other words, um, you know, my son, he's a grazer. He likes to he likes to snack a little bit here and there. And then when we get to supper, he don't want to eat supper. Okay, we had a nice meal last night, and we get in Walmart, and Peyton looks at me and says, "Hey, can I have a snack?" And my words were, "No, we just ate supper." And of course, mom comes along and says, "He's a growing boy." <laughs> growing boy means empty wallet. Any dad say, "Amen, amen." <laughs> Amen. What are you saying? I'm saying if we're not careful, we'll snack here and there, but we will not learn to sustain ourselves on the Word of God. We, I'm telling you today, God's got a table spread for us. 
And he says, it's all good if you'll come and dine, if you'll come and take what you, what you need, not necessarily what you want, by the way. There's another message there for another time. Psalm 61, three, uh, 63, verses 1 through 2 says, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I look upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. What was the psalmist was saying? Look, I'm thirsty for you. I'm, I'm hungry for you, God. Uh, Lord, I can't, I can't make it. I know Pastor Phil preached on Monday, but, or on Sunday, but it's Monday and I need some fresh manna. I need something new for my spirit. Look folks, we have got to get into this book. We have got to get into our prayer lives if we're going to weather the times ahead of us. Psalms 27 and 8 said, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Spiritual fruit and a walk with God are, 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 are not going to sustain us uh, or will sustain us when we are spiritually weak if we will seek his face. I believe with all my heart we are in an era of time in this world where we have got to seek his face. We have got to seek him like we've never sought him before. What does it mean to seek his face? That is to set myself to have an answer from God. I want to challenge you this morning that we would quit making a casual prayer and being done with it, but that we would begin to pray until we see heaven move. We would begin to pray until we see a move of God in the situations that we're facing. I don't know if you're here this morning, if you won't admit it, but how many of you, there's a situation right now you know God needs to intervene in? Come on, you know God needs to move in. I, I, I'm going to tell you right now, if you didn't raise your hand, I'll give you one. Who knows we need a physical healing in America right now. We need a physical healing in our world right now. I want you to understand. Somebody said, oh, that plague is from God. It's COVID is from God. I, and he's punishing this world. I've got news for you. God's not through yet. There's a lot of prophecy he's yet to fulfill. I believe this is something that can be moved out through the power of prayer if the church will humble themselves and see Seek the face of God. We got to get real about it. I prayed about it, Phil. I did. Pastor Phil, I prayed. And, and I, I, I remember that time. It was March of 2020. I prayed that prayer and it was done. Was it? All through the scripture, the more I've studied, I see that people who sought the face of God till heaven moved is the ones who saw miracles. And what are you saying? I've shared this illustration. I'm reading a great book by John Eldridge. If you haven't read it, it's called Moving Mountains. Great book. And in this book, he's talking about prayer, having a prayer life that can move some things. How many of you want a prayer life that will move something? I guess only a few of us. How many of you want a prayer life that you know is going to move something? Amen. Well, he's talking about that, and, and in, in that book, and I've shared it, but almost, I feel like I need to hit it again. He, he uses Elijah's prayer for rain. He said it wasn't that God wasn't going to send rain. God already told Elijah, I'm going to send rain when you pray. Well, guess what? Elijah prays. He sends his servant, says, go tell me what you see. The servant comes back and says, nothing. Anybody ever done that? You prayed, said, God, I know you're going to move. And you go and you look, and Nothing. <laughs> He doesn't stop there, but how many of us would have stopped there? I, I, I was, I'm going to tell you, I was a little convicted in my heart of how many times I've stopped short of a move of God. 
How many times I've stopped short from seeing heaven move in a situation. And so right there, you know what? He doesn't do it once. He sends his servant seven times to look and see if something was happening. And on the seventh time he prayed for rain, and the seventh time his servant went and looked, the servant comes back and says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand over the ocean, over the sea. Elijah looks, he gets up, looks at, it, looks at Ahab and says, you better get back to Jezebel because a gully washer's coming. That's a southern term, isn't it? A gully washer mean a flood. A flood of rain is coming. The Lord began to deal with me this week as I meditated and prayed about that a little bit more because I've been chewing on it for a few weeks now. And as I began to pray about that, what the Lord spoke to me was, it is the difference, those who are persistent in prayer, it is the difference between a shower of blessing and a monsoon of blessing. I want you to understand something today. I, I, there's, I believe that when we pray, God hears us. I believe when we pray that God will eventually answer, even if I pray one time and I bank it. But it could be the difference between a mighty move of God and just a move of God. How many want a mighty move of God? You see, I don't believe America needs a, just a cloud the size of a man's hand. I believe America needs a typhoon of the Holy Spirit. I believe we need a move of God like we've never seen before. And it's going to come with a persistent, a persistent people that are on their knees seeking heaven, calling on God. Lord, what do we see now? It ain't here yet. What do I see now? It ain't here yet. Instead of being discouraged we keep on praying and we keep on praying till we see heaven move. Till we see that lost son come back home. Till we see that lost daughter come back home. Till we see our marriages mended. Our homes restored. Revival in the land. The power of God saving healing and setting captives free. Folks it's there if we'll pray. It's not that God doesn't want to do it. He wants to do it. He says I will do it if my my people will pray. Oh my goodness. I came to have church this morning. A lack of spiritual solitude is killing us. Number six, solitude is a chosen time of separation for refinement of the soul. And it is one of the best ways to combat a hurried addiction to life or addictive life. We get caught up in so many things, but solitude is something we need. Even Jesus, in his busiest season of ministry, needed time alone with the Father and to put, the, put a priority on carving out solitude. Mark 1.35 says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and he prayed. Matthew 14, 23, and after he dis dismissed the crowd, he went out uh, or went up unto a mountain by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was alone. Wise followers of Jesus will create a rhythm of solitude in their life daily, weekly, and perhaps even quarterly, finding a time carved out where they can be alone in solitude to the Lord. Everybody in this room needs a Bethany in their life, and that's not a person, it's a place, it's a spiritual place. Jesus went to Bethany when the crowds became too much. There he would stay in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he would rest. He would kick up his feet. He would get away from the crowds for just a little while, and he would cancel the noise. Oh, God, help me preach this. We live in such a noisy world. We live in a world where people are in our ears. People are dictating to us what is right and wrong. 
They're telling us, look, I'm going to tell you what I'm grieved about is a generation that is considering truth as what they see it instead of how the Word teaches it. I'm going to tell you right now, you can believe something is truth and be damned and go to hell. Oh, God, help me preach this morning. Somebody better help me preach this morning. We've got to get a hold of what thus saith the word of the Lord. We've got to base our ideas about God based on the Scripture because the Scripture is not tainted by cultural or social views. It is integrity. It is God breathed to us so that it might be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path and we have strayed away from the Word of God in the body of Christ and we wonder why there's no healings. We wonder why there's no miracle. We wonder why God isn't moving the way He moved in the book of Acts. It's because they devoted themselves to the teaching of the Word to fellowship, to prayer, and God moved in mighty ways. Who's ready for a revival? Who's really ready to see a move of God? Get back to what the Word teaches, not what you think. Well, you don't love people. I love everybody. Some people I have to pray extra hard to love. Come on, you do too. You got them people you got to pray hard to love. Because they make it hard to love them. But I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it in love. Premarital sex will never be okay with God. Homosexuality will never be okay with God. I know socially we have had the pressure, this is okay. It is not okay. It violates the Scripture. It violates the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is you. Oh, God. Being drunk will never be okay with God. A foul mouth will never be okay with God. A corrupted heart and lying and cheating and stealing will never be okay with God. Oh, I'm going to preach if it empties the house next week. I don't care because I'm going to tell you I'm standing before God, not you. And if we're going to see revival, we've got to clean house in our hearts. I'm not here to run people off. I'm here to say, please, get right. Quit listening to the world. Whew. Quit getting your ideas of God from social media. Can I give you my description of what I feel like I shared this Wednesday night if you were in my class? I believe in the love of God. I believe He loves everybody. I will preach the love of God stronger than anybody. But you need to hear me on this. We have made a description of God in the modern church as this puppy-eyed, lovesick father that is so lovesick over us. Well, I want to do this. God, is it okay? Sure. I love you. It's not okay. It's not okay. What are you saying? Do a comparison contrast here. The church in Acts taught truth uncompromisingly. And you say, yeah, but the world was different then. You need to read about ancient Rome. If, the issues we're facing today are not new issues. I'm going to take away the word issues. The demons we're facing today are no different than the demons of that day. They've just disguised themselves a little better. The early church preached love, but they also preached 
truth. And there was a balance between love and truth. In other words, I'm here to tell you, God loves you, yes, but He does expect you to live according to His Word. Amen? And it'll never be okay to violate His Word. Amen? It's creeped into our schools and universities and our seminaries. I was taught in school about the different wills of God. There is the perfect will of God. There's being outside the will of God. And then this is the one that got me, the permissive will of God. What is the permissive will of God? He gives you permission to be outside His will. That is nowhere in the Scripture. That God says it's okay for you to go out here and do your own thing. God can use you doing your own thing when you come back home. He can use that, yes. But I'm going to share something with you. Church, isn't it time we get some boring testimonies among this generation? I remember when I was a kid in school. Can I preach this morning? Is this all right? I can remember when I was a kid in school sitting in a youth service and I would hear the different testimonies. And Jim, I would look at them and say, but my testimony stinks because it's boring. And I almost felt an urgency. I got to go out and live like the devil and then let God rescue me from sin so I can come and have a good testimony to share. Look, I don't belittle. I am thankful for the testimonies of God bringing people out of awful things and bringing them home. And I will praise God over that. But church, I'm going to tell you, anybody that's ever been down that road would look at their kids and say, don't go that way. I don't want you to have that pain in your life. I don't want you to have to experience that. I want us to see some that God keeps out of that. How about you? I want to hear some boring, really boring testimonies in our youth. God kept me from it. God kept me from it. Amen. Because I'm going to tell you, the world will hurt you. The world will hurt you. Number seven, a critical spirit. The seventh fiery dart I want to expose today is a critical spirit. Believers who are out of sync spiritually, often due to one of the six that I've mentioned, uh, uh, they, they, have de- they develop a critical spirit. It may be manifested in, uh, internally towards oneself, family, co-workers, church, or even be manifested externally towards culture and, and at large or random strangers. If we do not have rest in our spirits, we will simply be looking for something to criticize. Unguarded discernment can become a judgmental spirit. God can give you great discernment, but if it's unguarded in your life, it means it's not over prayer, it's not prayed over, it can become a judgmental spirit in your life. While we are all called to be discerning the day, Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that, you lo- that, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, verse 11, or 9 says. Then verse 10 goes on to say, so that you may approve that what is excellent, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. We are all instructed to trust God to be the judge. Now, this is speaking about, and I want to share this with you, because this is 
A lot of people say, see, God's the judge, Phil, not you. You're right. I'm not the judge. But the judgment that is being spoken about, Romans hits it again. Let me read this, then I'll go into this explanation. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we all will all stand before God's the judgment seat of God. Now, the word judgment here does not allude to the type of judgment we think. This is when I judge somebody without a trial. When I judge somebody without any evidence, I just look and I make that judgment in their life. Well, they're such and such. They're going here. They're going there. And they're a brother or sister in Christ. Okay? That's what he's talking about here. He's saying we've got to have discernment. In other words, that we do not have a critical spirit about us that God gives us discernment and we use it to hurt. God gives us discernment. I'm going to tell you, God has given some people some genuine discernment in the body of Christ, but have used it for wrong purposes. Come on. Come on. We need to have integrity in our discernment. Amen? And have a humble heart. Why? Because Galatians chapter 6 tells us what? That if we see someone overtaken in a spiritual fault, we are to restore them. He says, those of you that are spiritual. You know what he's talking about in that passage? He's not talking about those who are high and mighty. Because he goes on to say, considering yourself, be meek. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. He's saying, it's only by God's grace that the tables are turned. So if, if, if Jim fails the Lord, it is my job to try to restore him, but not from up here. Are you following me? It is not from up here that I do that. It is from here that I do that. With a spirit of meekness, realizing by the grace of God, the tables could be turned. By the grace of God, I could be in that situation. By the grace of God, yesterday we were coming down this road and we saw this young man. And this young man was either high or drunk or both. He could barely walk, coming down the road. And immediately, what happened? What would you do? Judgment. Let's just say it. But I'm here to tell you today that when I got home, my heart began to cry out to God for this guy. Lord, he's a captive. He's a prisoner. He's somebody's son. Somebody may be on their knees right now praying for him. Lord, whatever it takes, God, please do a work. Do a work. What are you saying, Pastor? We cannot afford to have a critical spirit in this hour. It is easy for me to judge what I see, but I must have discernment with prayer. That's seeking the face of God for revival is what I'm talking about. It will create a humility in me, not a high and haughty spirit in me. So when I preach against sin, as I did really hard just a few minutes ago, I want you to understand, I preach it because I love you enough to tell you the bridge is out. What are you saying? If the bridge was out and I knew you were going that way and I didn't warn you because I thought it might offend you, what kind of friend am I? Do I love you? No. So I choose to preach the truth because I love you. Mm, will you stand? We cannot cradle sin in our hearts and expect for revival to move in this land. Too many boxes going in the ground. And my heart, every time I hear 
so-and-so died. My heart is, did they know him? Jesus, did they know you? I don't know where people got in their head that everybody's going to make it to heaven. Not everybody's going to make it to heaven. Did they know you, Lord? So you won't help those who are trying to struggle. You better believe I'll do all I can to help anybody get out of sin. But I'm not the Savior. Only Jesus is. You see, I believe somebody needs to be set free in this room this morning. Well, y'all hate me. You'll judge me. No, I won't. I love you. <laughs> but if I don't tell you there's danger, I don't need to stand behind this pulpit. Because there's too many standing behind the pulpit saying everything's okay. You're okay. God is this great big teddy bear God that's saying everything's okay. Oh, it's not. You see, if you really understand theology, Jesus is the person of grace of God. He's the mercy. He's the grace. God the Father. So, I mean, what's restraining God from destroying this earth? His Son. <laughs> His Son. Read the Word. His Son is holding back the, the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. But there will come a time, according to the book of Revelations, where Jesus will be sent to get His church, and then you think it's bad now. Oh, I, I don't know about that. I don't hear that preached much anymore. That's right, because we don't like to preach the end of the story. But you see, the end of the story is not gloom and doom. I want, the, I want our young people to hear this especially. The end of the story is a life like you've never had before. The end of the story is really living. The end of the story is a victory. The end of the story is going to be amazing. The end of the story is going to be more wonderful than we can imagine. The end of the story. But we want to focus on all the destruction. So is Jesus worth total surrender to? You better believe it. I feel like we need to bow our heads in this room. Because I feel like somebody, they want to pray, but they're just not comfortable. Because they feel like everybody's eyes are going to be on them. If you are struggling with some things that you've said in your heart is okay and you know it's not, I want you, if you would, quickly lift your hand and put it right back down. There's some others. Come on. It's okay, but I know, I know God's Word is against it, but I have excused my life. I've excused it away as if He'll overlook it. If you are in here and you're needing a victory over that, lift your hand. Well, you several already have. That's okay. You don't have to do it again. But if you're doing that and you're ready for deliverance today, look, that's the key. you got to have deliverance. It does no good to preach it if we don't follow through with it. It does no good to hear it if I don't follow through with it. So if you're in this room right now and you, I'm going to tell you something, don't walk to Jesus. I challenge you to run to Jesus this morning. Run to Him. Run to Him. Run to Him. He loves you this morning. He's ready to set you free this morning. He's ready to forgive, restore, make you whole. He's ready to bring revival to America. I believe that with all my heart, but you've got to run to him. Oh, if you want it, you'll come get it. If you want it, you'll come get it. Well, what will people think? Who cares what people think? You better care what God thinks. You better care what Jesus thinks. Will you come? Will you come? Oh, come on. I know some of us, we're just letting pride hold us back. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, God's dealing with your heart for change to take place. Come on. You won't, you won't regret it. You won't be sorry that you did it. There's some others you need to obey God this morning. Come on. 
Come on. Come on. Come on. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, God's dealing with your heart this morning, and you need to obey. You need to obey. You need to obey. There's some others. Come on, you need to obey. Some of us need to lay some stuff down that, that, that we've held on to for too long. Some of us need, we need to get rid of some fiery darts. We need to shed some things in our life and move forward because God's ready to bring revival to our families. God's ready to bring healing to our families, restoration to our community. But we've got to be willing to come and get it. There's some others. Come on. I know there's some people holding back this morning. I'm going to tell you, you've been holding back for weeks and you get to the point where you're like, oh, I'm almost going to go. I think I'll go. And then you talk yourself out of it and God is saying, don't let the enemy talk you out of it this morning. Oh, in Jesus' name, I rebuke him. I rebuke him. If you need something from God, you better come get it. You better come get it. You better come get it. Come on, there's some others. There's some others in this room. There's some of us we've convinced ourselves that right that wrong things are right. God's saying, no, they're not. No, they're not. Come make it right. Come make it right. I love you this morning, but you got to come. you got to obey the Lord. I'm going to harp a little bit this morning because there's some people need to be here. I'm going to pull a little bit longer today because I feel like some people need to be here. I'm going to tell you right now, I delivered my heart this morning. I delivered God's heart this morning. I'm telling you, somebody needs to respond. There, you say, well, there's people praying. That's good. No, there's some right now you're holding back from getting the victory you need in your life. Don't let the enemy blind you. Don't let him, don't let him convince you. My God in heaven, somebody in this room, you're just convinced you're going to hell. You're just convinced of it, that there's no help for you. I'm here to tell you that's a lie from hell. Come, get life this morning. Get victory this morning. Get hope this morning. The devil's convinced you. He's lied to you. Rebuke his lie. Come get what God has for you. Well, there's some others in this room. I'm telling you, God's dealing with your heart. If you'll just come, if you'll just come. If you'll just come, you'll get set free this morning. If you'll, get, if, you'll, if you'll just come, you'll leave this place with victory in your life. Oh, I rebuke the devil. I take a stand against him right now. Some of us, we don't even know Jesus. We've never even met him. We never even accepted him as our Savior. And God's saying, I want to save you this morning. Well, what does that mean? That you just ask him into your heart. You believe that he gave his life on the cross for you. And you accept him as your Savior and that he is coming back for you. Oh, that means i got to be perfect. doesn't mean you got to be perfect. It means that you're walking in grace. You're walking by faith. You're developing a relationship. It's a daily walk. Oh, come on. There's some others. Amen. Young people, you got friends in this altar, pray with them. Nobody alone. Let's get some people praying with some folks this morning. There's some others. You need to come. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. God's dealing with you. God's dealing with you. God's dealing with you. God's dealing with you. Oh, my goodness. I feel the Lord in this place. If you got to go, go. I understand. But, but there's somebody needs to do some. There's some eternal work going on in this room right now. Somebody's deciding heaven and hell in this room right now, and, and this is important. Oh, my goodness. God's ready. Oh, my goodness. God's ready. Some of us are living a double life. God's ready for us to bring that double life to Him. To Him. To Him. Somebody watching at home. You need to get on your knees by your couch and pray. 
listening, going down the road, you need to pray right now. Pull off the side of the road if you need to, but give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Amen. We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.